Welcome to the Student Sessions with Tonya Galati, brought to you by Grey Hair Media. In this series, Tonya is joined by role models who share their lived experiences in frank and honest conversations. We all need to be inspired, and understanding how those we look up to have been inspired themselves is an important journey of discovery. Come with us for a frank, unedited conversation with amazing people. Today, Tonya is talking to Roberta Johnson. Roberta was an alcoholic, an addict, an anorexic and bulimic. Self-harm and self-deprecation became a place of comfortability in a world she felt she wasn't a part of. During her rock bottom, she was given the opportunity to go to rehab, where the journey towards learning to love herself began. Now, in a time of her life where she feels utterly content, Roberta reflects on how her past has shaped her into the successful and grateful young woman she is today. Some of what Roberta says may be a trigger, and therefore please take this as a trigger warning. Uh, and this podcast does contain certain swear words, um, as it is a full and frank conversation. Over to you, Tonya. Hi, Roberta. Hi there, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Thanks very much for joining us on the student sessions today. We're delighted to have you with us. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Whereabouts in the world are you today, Roberta? So I live in Bristol. Yeah. Um, originally from Edinburgh, but living in, Ed- in, in Bristol now. Oh, right. That's where the accent's from. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so tell us about you. What's your story? Oh, where to begin? Um, so I'm currently a master's student studying, living in Bristol. Um, but I have a history of alcohol, drug addiction, anorexia, bulimia, domestic violence, self-harm and depression, anxiety, the full shebang really. Um, I don't know how I've got to where I am but it was a lot of hard work and determination, stubbornness sometimes and sheer grit but I have got myself into a really comfortable place where I actually love the person that I am. Um, I'm doing a course that I absolutely adore and I'm surrounded by friends and I have a little girl who is my world and, um, and I'm, I couldn't be more grateful. And you sound really happy. I am. Good, that's <laughs> I'm amazing. I'm reading all these books, so it's, it's, it's definitely, I'm a happy, grateful person. Great. So if you're happy to share a bit more details around your story, Roberta, when did things start um, spiralling for you? Sure. I mean, so um, normal childhood, uh, nothing drastic. <sighs> Two loving parents who are still together, surprisingly, after 35 years. Um, younger brother, you know, nothing, nothing stand out. Um, but I always felt as though, especially around the ages of 11, 12, that I, um, that I was different, that I didn't quite fit in. Like there was a, a bit of the jigsaw missing. And, and I was always on a quest to fulfill that kind of a fill sorry that um space that void so I filled it with um academic um side of things I joined debate club I joined dancing I mean I was a very keen dancer I danced all around the world with my dance school at the time um and it started off with quite small things with trying to fill that gap um and it very very slowly in, then into a great dip um, of behaviors uh, that were, were always trying to make me feel more like I thought I should feel 
Does that make so, sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, 12, 13, that's kind of, you know, still, you're still a child, really. So to feel like that um, must have been quite, was it something that you were worried about? Or was it just that you felt potentially that's something that everybody felt? I, I definitely thought I was alone. I didn't think anyone else felt the way I felt. And I think that was part of the problem because I didn't know who to speak to about it. Um, I didn't know that there was other solutions like maybe counselling or speaking to other people and getting some kind of insight into how they felt. I just thought I was on my own. So when it actually came to me drowning my sorrows with booze, um, <laughs> when I was, I think I picked up my first drink when I was 15. Um, around the same time I started smoking, around the same time I started self-harm and my anorexia was in full swing by then. Um, but that all seemed like the easier option for me in terms of managing how I felt. And it just seemed normal. I didn't think anything of it. And did you, so did you, were you hiding how you were feeling then? You, you said you found it difficult, you didn't know who to speak to. Were you hiding a lot of how you were feeling and your kind of ways of dealing with it? Oh, 100%. I mean, um, anyone who knows me or, or, or knew me in my past would say that I was smiley, happy, bubbly, very confident, very um, sort of in with the popular crowd. Um, Completely on the surface, everything looked absolutely fine. But inside, I just felt completely horrendous. But I didn't let anyone know. Not even my parents had any idea until I was about 15. And then I started becoming the so-called rebellious teenager. Okay. And what did that look like? Oh, God. Sneaking out of the house at all hours, um, chatting to boys, the typical kind of realizing that boys were quite exciting at that age mm. <laughs> um, smoking drinking going to the park and getting so completely bladdered that I'd have to be taken home in an ambulance so, you know it, it wasn't just the sort of typical going to my friend's house and having a cheeky like sharing a cheeky beer that most mm. teenagers might do it was that I'm gonna steal a bottle of gin from my uncle and go down the park drink this full thing just to feel numb because that to me felt amazing so that's quite a short term release isn't it how did you feel after you'd had that bottle of gin so obviously in, in the uh, from from making that amount or drinking as much as I possibly could in a very very quick um way as well as being empty in terms of food due to starving myself and reaching a horrendously low weight afterwards mm. I couldn't feel anything and that was what I enjoyed that's what I seeked but there was obvious there was still that kind of feeling of you know there's there's more I could do more and that's where the other behaviors would come in but afterwards when you'd wake up in the morning I mean the obvious hangovers the the pain the realization that you know things were things were bad quickly led into drinking in the morning and self-harming in the morning I, I fractured my own skull because I punched myself in the head so much that um, just in an attempt to try and feel something other than this great depression that I had inside. And, and at what point, what was the turning point for you? What kind of made you 
realize almost that you needed to kind of speak to somebody or get support? So by the age of 22, and this is following years of just repetitive behavior, bulimia, drinking, uh, drugs whenever they were available, um, all of those awful things that seemed so comfortable at the time, um, I ended up with chronic pancreatitis. I was jaundice. Um, I had partial liver damage. You know, I was, I had, my skin was so like red raw because it just got to the point where I wasn't actually looking after myself at all. So I wasn't bathing. Mm. I was right in the bed. I was being sick all the time um, through wanting to and obviously involuntarily as well with the amount of damage I was doing internally that um, I was actually given a place in detox. And um, if I was to finish said detox place, then I would go on to rehab, um, which I did. Um, I didn't finish on a high in detox. I Well, I suppose whatever way you look at it, but I, mm. I did nip off to the off-license on my last night as a wee um, celebration and uh, had eight cans of cider and was subsequently uh, gifted my first hangover in a number of years as I wasn't allowed the morning drink. <laughs> I can remember that one. And did, um, you know, you said you had a close relationship with your mum and dad, your brother. How did this kind of affect your relationships? Oh, goodness me. Um, I didn't see too much of it at the time, or I was in pure denial. Um, my mum was really, really low. My dad, I could say the same. In fact, the whole family was just desperate. They were all convinced I was going to die. And I knew that they knew that, but I just, I pushed it to the side and chose not to think about it because that would, it hurt too much. Um, Especially my brother. I know that he really, really struggled. And I mean, he was, he's only a couple of years, maybe a year and a half younger than myself. So was going through quite a lot of his own struggles at that time as well. And because the the entire focus was on myself, it was it was a really tough time for him. I mean, the whole family struggled. And, but now, thankfully, we're back to being thick as thieves and me and my brother have an excellent relationship and he's thriving and my parents are doing, <laughs> doing what they need to do as, as um, it's almost like it's back to normal, all because I was given the opportunity to realise that I wasn't alone. Hmm. And you mentioned, obviously, that you went to, um, you were going to go to, or you went to detox and then you were going to go to rehab. Did you go to rehab? I did. Um, So I did 10 months, (laughs) which uh, is miraculous considering it was back in 2016 um, and the funding cuts and everything else that's been going on then and since um, are disastrous in terms of of long-term therapy and treatment, but I was given 10 months. And uh, in those 10 months, I worked on um, the 12 steps of recovery, which to those who don't know are a set of guidelines in um, Alcoholics Anonymous. They also practice it in Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, and all the other um, substance and addiction abuse groups. they're basically a design for living, a set of principles, which if you live by these principles, you could actually, or you will actually have an extraordinary life. 
so long as you don't pick up a drink or a drug. <laughs> and would you say that that is the case, that you are having an extraordinary life? I would say that is 100% the case. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, life is life. And I've experienced some things in my sobriety, my four and a half years of of clean time. And um, I think about three years free of eating disorders as that took a little bit of extra work and some CBT. But I mean, I had my daughter in that time. I got through a, a really rather shitty, I should say, relationship where mm-hmm. domestic violence was heavily... Um, well, it was heavily centered around just emotional abuse and financial abuse. Um, but I've come out stronger. I've graduated um, an undergraduate degree with a first and two scholarships to do my master's in the job role that I will be undertaking one day. And I absolutely love it. And I, I, I've got my own place. I drive. Um, I mean, I actually, you know, I'm not drinking, I'm not using, I chain vape, but that is literally the only addiction that I have today. I don't even drink mm-hmm. coffee and I've gone bloody vegan. Like, I have no idea where that's come from, but... So you've completely yeah. turned your life around, basically. Literally. Um, in the... I, it's difficult for me to try and... I mean, when I say this out loud and start from the beginning... Again, it is quite bizarre. I don't feel like that person anymore. You know, I occasionally have down days, but everyone does. But just realizing and knowing that I'm not alone and that as much as there will be absolutely horrendous days and really bad times and terrible emotions, there is amazing times ahead so long as you focus on getting through each day one day at a time. Uh, and what do you think it was for you, Roberta, that made you decide? What was the kind of almost the defining moment that made you think, I've got to sort this out and I've got to be consistent with it? Oh, I would love to say that when I, you know, was dying and was having alcohol withdrawal seizures um, and the illness and all this, stuff that was going on right back at the very beginning was my sort of um you know catalyst for let's change this situation but in all honesty I think it was about halfway through um, my rehabilitation process where I could start to see the difference between people who were working on themselves and the people who weren't working on themselves and seeing people thrive and unfortunately seeing people die and I've seen many friends who've had this horrendous, I would say, illness or disease um, die either through going back out into their addiction and drinking or using again and overdosing or committing suicide. It's, um, it's I don't deserve that today. I didn't at the very beginning of everything, but I specifically have so much in my life today that why would I want to ruin it? And if I ever feel down, I know that I have people that I can go and speak to or just grab the person that's closest to me and speak to them, whether they like it or not, because I know it helps. (laughs) Yeah. And what are some of the other coping mechanisms, Roberta? Because obviously you said you've had 
you know, depression, anxiety. What are some of the things that you put in place to help you to cope so that you don't feel that you have to revert back to the coping mechanisms that you used to use? Sure. Um, so, I mean, I'm still on antidepressants. That's something that, I, I mean, I'm an advocate for if your GP sees, so, sees it fit uh, for you to do so. Um, I mean, I hope very soon to get off those. But on a day-to-day basis, you can still feel pretty poop when you're on those things. So I journal every single night. I've written a journal, um, one page of an A5 notebook every single day since I've gained sobriety. So something like 1,700 days or 1,700 pages of journal. Um, I try to read something inspirational every morning. Um, I need to get better at that. (laughs) And for me, I attend AA meetings. Um, I try to get to two or three a week. Um, Because just that connection with someone who knows how you feel whether it's a friend or a sponsor in AA or a family member or a stranger on the telephone, that really helps. So that those are my coping strategies. Or sitting on the sofa with a thing of Ben and Jerry's and Netflix on the telly. And you said at the start, Roberta, that when you were kind of 11, 12, you felt that something was missing. You felt quite um, that you were different. Uh, upon reflection all these years later, have you kind of... Has that clicked for you in terms of what that was, the yeah. trigger? I didn't love myself. That was the whole problem. I didn't have any love for myself. Where that came from, I'm not sure. But the lack of self-care and that constant desire to be a version of myself that was just a fabrication, just an idea based on what I thought other people wanted me to be that that was the wrong path I had to go for what I wanted I mean did I really want to you know have that group of friends that I have or had sorry no did I really want to be the center of attention in in terms of being in the popular group no I'm an introvert did I want to be in the library all the time yes I did and was there any problem with that no there wasn't but at the time I did there's peer pressure and you should never, ever, ever go against what you really want just for the thought of what you think someone else might want you to do. And what are some of the things, you know, you've got a young daughter, what are some of the things that you are going to impress on her, given what you know now? Oh, oh it scares me, that question. <laughs> it really does. Um, I just want her to be herself and to know that she can come to me with any problems. I mean, my parents were always there for me to go to them with any problems. So I can't say for certain that she's going to want to hide things from me. By Christ, I'll be her mum. So she Mm. probably will try to hide things. But I want to make sure that she is aware that I am an open book and she can come to me with any problems and we can discuss it as a mum and daughter would do. Um, or just know that she's happy and she's doing things that she wants to do. You know, it's, oh God, that, that, that time of her being a teenager, young preteen, that scares me. 
but I hope that I can be a role model for her. Which I'm sure you will be because you've, you know, you've overcome so much and you're doing great things, um, especially kind of career-wise. You know, you look like you're doing some really, really great things. But what one bit of advice were you given that's really stayed with you? Be honest with yourself. Uh, always. Like, if there's any issues going on in my life, I always ask myself, what part do I play in that scenario? And if, and <laughs> at the end of the day, whatever part I play in some, if there's something that's affecting me, there's always going to be a part that I play. And it's up, for, up to me to make sure that that changes. Either I take myself out of the equation or I change the way I react to a situation or try and think of a different way to handle it before I react. That's the preferred outcome for me. (laughs) And some of our listeners may be thinking, oh, actually, you know, I I can relate to some of what Roberta said about not feeling like I fit in or kind of not, you know, having the right people around me. And mental health is something that we've discussed in some of our other podcasts. But what what advice would you give to some of our listeners who feel that they might need help but are reluctant to ask for it? I would say to those listeners, of which I'm sure there are some, (laughs) that you are not alone and think to yourself that there is probably someone else out there who is listening to this podcast who feels the exact same way that you do. And it is about being stubborn with yourself and just making that initial approach to a helpline or a friend or a family member, someone you trust, who you can talk to about how you feel and know that there are solutions out there. Because if I can bloody be in this place that I am today, where I actually care about the person I am today, then, oh my gosh, so can anyone else. Genuinely, I wanted to die. And now I look forward to every single day I have alive on this earth. Very powerful advice. I hope someone can just pick up that phone or speak to that friend. It's, oh, it's, it's the best thing they'll ever do for themselves. And what does the future hold for you, Roberta? Ooh, um, become a millionaire, business entrepreneur. No, I, <laughs> um, I, I'm going down the medical route. My master's um, is the Physician Associate Master's at the University of the West of England. Absolutely wonderful career um, where I'll be able to be a generalist in medicine. Um, I'd love to specialise at some point. I'm not sure quite yet what I want to specialise in. And then it will be the buy the house, maybe have another kid with my wonderful boyfriend, whom I now have, and um, yeah, live. Wow. It's just, I mean, it is amazing. You've been on an amazing journey and, you know, you've really kind of taken control and kind of turned things around for yourself. So, you know, you, you are a role model. You kind of are an inspiration. And I think many people listening to the podcast will um, agree. But would you, you have, you know, looking back to when you were 13, 14, would you have would you have ever envisaged that this is the career that you were going to pursue? I think deep down, I knew what I wanted. I knew where I wanted to be. I just didn't know how to get there. Um, 
and it involved me putting myself first before I could get to where I wanted to be. And I mean, I, I wanted to be a forensic scientist to begin with. So science was always my um, sort of plan. But I think that was watching too much CSI um, or Silent Witness. And then, but I, I love it. Humans, I want to help people. And if I can help from, from a scientific standpoint, from a medicinal standpoint, then by God, I'm doing what I absolutely adore. I'm mindful that we are coming to the end of our time together, Roberta. Before you leave us, what one bit of advice would you give to our listeners? Love yourself. That's it. Love yourself. Brilliant. Thank you so, so much, Roberta, for joining us on the student sessions. You've been fantastic. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Honestly, it was amazing. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us and do join us again on the student sessions. Thanks for listening to the Student Sessions brought to you by Greyhair Media and hosted by Tonya Galati. Never miss an episode by subscribing and if you like what you've heard today, why not leave a review and please tell your friends. We'll see you at the next session. Thank you.